G'day, welcome to Age Abuse and Justice, where each episode I summarise an elder abuse case to demonstrate what elder abuse looks like and how the law deals with it. Age Abuse and Justice started as short videos published on YouTube. I did 15 cases in video format, but it took much longer to record and edit, so gradually I eased out of videos to focus on the podcast. It also allowed me to do cases in more detail. I'm now adding the audio from those video recordings to be available on the podcast channel as well. Please excuse the bad audio, these are made from when I was first learning how to use this equipment so it gets pretty dicey. So this is one of those video recordings. The videos are still available on YouTube if you'd like to check them out. You can search for Age Abuse and Justice or you could look on the New South Wales Legal Aid podcast channel. But I'll also include the links for this case in the notes below. So on to the case. I wanted to give you a case study that demonstrates that not every time a parent transfers their property to a child is there abuse or coercive conduct. Sometimes a parent can do it for their own reasons and sometimes they do it because they want to. This case demonstrates the correct way to go about doing it and just one of those reasons why you might want to do it. Edward and Valerie Daunt had three children. There is Stephen, Michael and Helen. They weren't very close with Stephen and Helen, but they were very close with their son Michael and he was their primary caregiver. Michael also wasn't very close with his siblings. In 2010, Edward and Valerie owned a property together in Wodong. Although they were living at an assisted living facility, they would still visit their property on weekends and for holidays. Valerie received advice from Centrelink that she would need to transfer her interest in the property to someone else for no money, otherwise her pension would be affected. So I'm not going to go into the calculations involved here, but basically she was told if she kept owning a share in the property, her pension would be reduced or possibly lost entirely, but that if she transferred her interest in the property to someone else and didn't get any money for it, that she would be able to keep her pension. Around this time, Michael contacted his two siblings and he said to them, mum needs to transfer her property to someone. Do you guys want in on this? So she could transfer it to the three of us together and we would all own her share of the property. And Michael said the condition was that they all had to agree that mum could continue to access the property whenever she wanted to and that they couldn't sell it until the parents no longer needed it. Stephen and Helen didn't agree to this because they themselves were receiving the pension and if they were to receive this interest in property, it would affect their own pension. So they said they didn't want anything to do with the transfer. As a result, it was decided that Valerie would transfer her interest in the property to her husband and Michael together. Valerie wrote to Stephen and Helen, basically explaining to them what Michael had already told them. She said, Centrelink has told her she needs to transfer her interest in the property. She's doing this to preserve her pension and asking them to understand what she's doing. Being very clever, both before and after doing the transfer, Valerie and Edward went and got medical assessments. So before doing the transfer and just after doing the transfer, they saw doctors who confirmed that they understood what they were doing and that they had the capacity to transfer the property. In June 2010, 
Valerie transferred her share in the property to her husband and her son Michael. At the time, she was 86 years old. A month after doing the transfer, Edward and Valerie went and saw their solicitor and they did a power of attorney which appointed Michael to be their attorney to deal with their finances if they ever lost capacity to do so themselves. It wasn't long after this transfer was completed that Stephen made an application to the Victorian Civil and Administrative Tribunal, which is also referred to as VCAT. The application to the tribunal stated that Valerie did not have capacity to do the transfer, that she did so under coercion from Michael, and that the tribunal should turn the transfer around and basically return the interest back to Valerie. Valerie wrote a letter to the tribunal that was witnessed by her solicitor and in this letter she basically explained her reasons for doing the transfer and she confirmed that at the time of doing the transfer she understood what she was doing. Based on this letter, as well as the medical reports and the communications between the siblings, the tribunal decided that there had been no undue influence on Valerie and they did not order that the transfer be reversed. In February of 2011, Stephen's application to the tribunal was dismissed. In October 2011, Edward died. And as a result of his death, Michael was now the owner of the Wodong property. So before the transfer had happened, Edward and Valerie owned the property as joint tenants. And the effect of this is that if one tenant dies, the other tenant automatically owns the property 100% because of survivorship and it doesn't pass through any wills or form part of anyone's estate. Because Valerie had transferred her share to her husband and Michael, the effect was that on Edward's death, the share automatically transferred to Michael as the surviving owner, and he owned the property 100%. Not long after Edward's death, Stephen started legal proceedings against his brother Michael, claiming that Michael had used undue influence to get his mother to transfer her share in the property to him. And he said the reason that Michael did this was in order to prevent his siblings from inheriting any share of the property. In December 2013, the court decided that there had been no undue influence, unconscionable conduct or coercion. The court based this on the medical reports, the letters that Valerie had written and the correspondence between the siblings. And the court also referred to the fact that Valerie did obtain a benefit from this transfer. So although she was transferring her interest in the property for no money, she still maintained access to the property and she got to keep her pension. So there was a benefit in it for her too. The court dismissed Stephen's application and ordered that he pay Michael's legal cost. One of the things the court looked at in this case was whether Stephen even had standing to make this application to the court. Because in a normal court case, you, you would have party A has done something and it's affected party B. So in this case, the parties would be Valerie has transferred her share in the property to Michael. So Valerie might sue Michael saying that he used undue influence to get her to do it or that she didn't understand what she was doing at the time. If Stephen had been appointed as Valerie's power of attorney, he might have brought the proceedings on her behalf, acting as her attorney, but he wasn't. And if Valerie had died, the executor of her estate might have brought these proceedings in order to bring the property back into Valerie's estate. 
but that wasn't the case either. Basically, Stephen was just her son, and this transfer happened over there involving his mother and brother, and he didn't like it. So he started these legal proceedings almost butting into someone else's private agreement to try to undo it. So the court looked at what was Stephen standing to even bring this application. The court went into that argument in a bit of detail, but I won't bother you with it now. I'm just going to move on with the case. In October 2014, Stephen appealed the court's decision, but the appeal was dismissed. As an admission, when I was reading this case, I was kind of on Michael's side. And one of the reasons for this is, apart from the fact that it looks like he did everything right and tried to involve his siblings when he could, um, I also based it on some of the interaction that happened between the siblings. So at one point, Stephen had claimed that Michael had isolated the parents. And Stephen's argument was, I want to go visit mum and dad, but I don't want to see you. And you're always there. Um, in response to this, Michael said, look, I'm happy to get away. I'll leave the house and you can come see mum and dad. And a plan was put in place that Michael would go away for three weeks over Christmas and Stephen would come to the house and spend those three weeks with his parents. In arranging this, Michael wrote a letter to Stephen and he listed the things he does to assist his parents. So it was a list of the chores he did. Um, assisting with meals and cleaning and yard work, taking them to the doctor, um, driving them to appointments. And he made this list and he said to Stephen, you can stay with the parents for three weeks. I'm going to be gone, but you've got to make sure that you do all of these things for them while I'm gone. Stephen arrived at the house on the 16th of November 2009 for the start of this three-week stay with his parents. And it doesn't go into exactly what happened but basically he left on the same day so it felt to me like Michael really wasn't isolating his parents he did uh, he did make adjustments to allow his siblings to spend time with them just maybe they weren't willing to do as much for their parents as he was so I do admit I was on Michael's side in this case now you might be saying that there's no elder abuse in this case um, and most especially, it doesn't appear that there was any abuse or coercive conduct on behalf of Michael. But I see the abuse coming from Stephen. So back in 2010, Valerie, who is 86 years old, and she owns property and she comes to a decision about what she wants to do with her property. And she tells her children about it. She gives them all the information they need, says, this is what I'm doing with my property. Because Stephen didn't like what Valerie had done with her own property, he took her to the tribunal and tried to say that she didn't have capacity to make decisions and that she did so under undue influence, trying to get the transfer reversed to undo what she had purposely done. Even though he was unsuccessful, this didn't stop him because not long after the death of his father, he started legal proceedings again and this time against Michael, once again trying to undo the transaction that Valerie had done. And even though Stephen was suing Michael this time, Valerie was definitely very much involved in that case. She was required to make statements and give her own evidence, and the purpose of the proceedings itself was to defend an action she had taken and to make sure that the transaction that she had done 
was not reversed. So to uphold her decision. So she was very much involved and a party to that legal proceedings. So in effect, Stephen dragged his mother through about four years of legal proceedings because he didn't like a decision she had made and he felt hard done by by the effects of it. That's four years of speaking to lawyers and legal proceedings and the cost and time involved and having this concern just become a part of your life. And I feel that in itself was a form of abuse. I wanted to give you a happier case today uh, as a relief from some of the more depressing cases that we've been looking at. But I think um, I might not have done that because once again, we've gone back to the issue of elder abuse. But I think at the very least, there's a happy ending in this, in that Valerie and Michael were victorious. Uh, The transfer was kept in place the way they had planned for it. Um, and that Stephen was not successful in undoing this transaction. That was my case. I hope you found it interesting, and I hope you'll join me for my next one.